0: Hi, I'm Justin, I'm a compulsive over eater. Um <laughs> I apologize to those of you who are not morning people. I'm a morning person, I've been awake since four AM, so I'm ready to go. Um, yeah. I'm not I haven't been awake since four AM because I was like nervous about speaking. I actually um, it's been I spoke the last time I spoke here was two years ago. Two years ago, February two thousand uh two thousand twelve. Um, and it's been about two years since I've been to this meeting. I know I haven't been here since you guys have moved to this new location, so this is it's really nice to be here to see the new place. Um, let me start off with the numbers because I always forget numbers, so I'll start with the numbers. I came into program uh, July 2006. I uh, was in program for about a year, uh, then I relapsed for um, three, almost yeah about three years, two and a half years, three years. Um, during that relapse, I found my top weight of about 520-530 pounds. Um, my current abstinence date is July 2nd, 2010. Um, I, uh, my abstinence, is I abstain, from sugar and white flour. Um, I, uh, during that relapse, I, I also ate my way into diabetes. I was hospitalized May 8th, 2007 or no, 2008 with a 989 point blood sugar. Um, For those of you who don't know anything about diabetes, you know, normal range is 70 to 140. You lose limbs and eyesight at 500. Mine was 989. My higher power saw fit that I stayed conscious through that whole ordeal the three days in the hospital. Um, I had diabetic ketoacidosis, which is where the sugar gets in every single muscle in your body and it quite literally hurt to breathe. I just sat in the hospital bed in total pain, couldn't sleep because I was in so much pain, just doing this for three days. When they released me, my blood sugar was like 330. Um, And this disease is so cunning, baffling, and powerful. I remember having that moment that... I think a lot of alcoholics describe as, like, you know, their bottom, where they're just kind of out talking. I can't do this anymore. And I was in the car with my mom, who was driving me home from the hospital, who had just buried her husband of 42 years five months before. And that wasn't lost on me. I was like, my dad just died at 61. And here I am, I've almost killed myself with food. And my poor mother's just like, you know... um, and I just remember saying out loud in the car, I just can't do this anymore. I just can't do this. I can't. But I still had more eating to do. I ate for... Yeah, oh yeah. <laughs> I ate for two more years. Oh yeah, I wasn't done. And it didn't matter that I had to give myself 100 units of insulin a day and take 2,000 milligrams of metformin a day. It didn't matter. I mean, I, I was so... The, the, the medicine... That I was taking to make me healthy was making me so sick. There were days I just stood outside the bathroom because I knew I was just going back in there in two minutes. It didn't matter. And I was still eating at the time, wow, 10,000 to 14,000 calories a day. And that's not an exaggeration because thankfully in the internet age, um, you know, I could look up the restaurants and my binge food. I know what my binges are. My, my, my binge foods, I, I'm not. I abstained from sugar and white flour. Sugar, to me, was a thing that would just, like, knock me out at the end of the binge. I wasn't one of these, like, sugar candy people all the time, because I I didn't like the ups and downs of sugar. Um, My thing was greasy, meaty, cheesy, 99-cent goodness that you get from a window. Um, Yeah. (laughs) And... um, You know, I knew what my binges were back then, and and a couple years ago I went online and looked up those fast food places and looked at one of my typical binges, what I thought back then was a meal, one of my three to four meals a day, and they were 3,000 to 4,000 calories a sitting. And I was like, wow. (laughs) That blows me away today because um, I'll have four years of abstinence this coming Thursday, and I eat between 2,800 and 3,200 calories a day now that was a meal for me four years ago um and that's definitely one of the many miracles of this program i won't uh i won't you know like spend a lot of time on like what it was like i mean i think most of us in this room know what it was like i mean when i was a kid i was the fat kid i'm i currently for those of you online who can't see me i'm six foot four 330 pounds um when i was five years old i was four foot nine, I stood eye to eye with my kindergarten teacher and I was 120 pounds. By the time I was nine years old, I was 180 pounds and I was five foot six, five foot five. my my mother is who's still alive she's 6 foot tall and she's 160 pounds and she was quite literally Miss Cotton Queen in like South Carolina it was yeah I've seen pictures of the floats and the tiaras and I'm like oh my god yeah my dad um, when he was alive he was like 5'10", 280 short, round that was his whole family when you put that together you get me ginormous 6 foot 4 330 pounds Um, and what I've learned in this current abstinence is that 330, 320, um, like this is, my, this is my weight, you know, this is my ideal weight, this is what it is. I'm never going to be what I, what in my head I consider to be skinny, <laughs> which is like 220, 240. Um, I think that's skinny. I'm probably never going to be there, you know. Um, during this last, during these last four years, I've learned a lot about myself, my body, who I am as a person, Because of this program Um, When I got abstinent My my abstinence date is July 2nd, 2010 It's not July 1st Because my last binge Was June 30th in Las Cruces, New Mexico As I was, oh yeah As I was coming back to Los Angeles But of course the next morning Because that was the last binge But the next morning I had to have McDonald's for breakfast So come on so July second was my first day. Yeah, once I got to Los Angeles and went to my first meeting. Um, because the good part about coming out of relapse is I knew what to do. You know, I knew where to go. I knew where the meetings were. You know, I you know I'd come back. I got to Los Angeles that Thursday night. Friday morning 7:30, I was at Hill Street, Hill and Second Street in Santa Monica, and um, and I asked my my I asked somebody to be my sponsor at that meeting. And um, you know, when I was in the food, I used to oh yeah, let me oh yeah, let me not I always forget something. Okay, pictures. But before I get there, I'm gonna show you this. When I was in the food, I used to I used to see those diet commercials where they'd be like, I used to be this big and they'd hold up their clothes and I'd just be like, That's the most cheesiest thing ever. And I'm gonna do the most cheesiest thing ever. Because this isn't for me. I'm being of service, right? Um, this is my shirt, which is a five X XLT. You can kind of see, you can like, half of it fits in, you know, and um, these are my pants, which were 62, and like one leg <laughs> sits in front of my body. Um, so these are my clothes, and uh, this is still so... Uh, this is still so humbling to me. Not so much the shirt, the pants. Like, when I pick up the pants, I'm like, holy
1: crap,
0: you know, um, these are some big pants. And I used to wear them every day. Um, here's some pictures but I'll, I'll pass around. <laughs> Be sure, when you take a look at this picture, keep in mind that this car has four doors and not two. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, I'll send the this Okay, I'll send that way Alright um, So coming out of relapse, I got a sponsor um, And we quickly started work the steps Like I said, when I was out of when I was, when I was in the food, not in program I used to daydream that if I could just go to a place And focus on my weight My life would be perfect Little did I know that was moving to Los Angeles And being unemployed and underemployed for like four years Who knew? That first year in um, Out of Relapse, both my sponsor and I were both unemployed and it was perfect. We went to meetings every day. After the meetings we would go to, we would sit down and read the big book and work the steps. I worked all 12 steps in my first um, my first year. Um, and <laughs> it was such a blessing because I was so focused on working the steps. I didn't even know how much weight I was losing um, and how quickly it was happening. Actually, to the point where I think just six months ago, I looked back <clears throat> at the um, at the like weight tracking app thing that we we use. I still use, and I lost my first hundred pounds in four months. Um, and I I was like, wow. I was looking at the thing. I was like, wow, that's crazy. But I know that that was that was God working through me because. I had, first of all, I'd never lost 100 pounds in my life. The most, most amount of weight I'd ever lost at one time uh, was 55 pounds the summer after my freshman year in college when I was working at a summer camp in North Carolina as a cook. Yeah, because, um, you know... Um, And I was, I wasn't eating, I was running up and down the mountain after working an eight-hour shift in the kitchen. I ate like maybe two meals through the whole week, every other thing that I would eat, like maybe some orange juice here or there. And I lost 55, 60 pounds in about five weeks, Um, which I do not suggest any of you doing, because that was so not healthy. so working the steps working the steps that's the key to this program when I I was first when I first came into this program I did not know I did not get that this is a spiritual program of recovery Um, my very 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 first sponsor in this program is sitting in this room right now and he was my sponsor for about God, three or four days or something. Um, that's just how thick headed I was. Uh, because he asked me to, and this was, this was back in like 2006. This was back in like August 2006. I still remember this. He asked me to take the big book and go through the doctor's opinion and highlight or underline everything that like resonated with me. And you know, being the good student that I am, then I was, pretty good student I've got a few degrees and stuff I'm kind of smart I went through and, I'm, and you know you don't underline everything you just underline keywords words and phrases here and there so when we met um, and he was looking at the page like there's only like two things underlined in the whole thing I was like well yeah like that and, and he was kind of like what is going on like, okay clearly you're not ready and I, in that moment I didn't know what he was talking about you know um, and when I look back at that year you know I got another sponsor and I did the whole three-step walk Um, I did steps one, two and three, but I refused to start my fourth step and I also refused to weigh myself. This is 2006, 2007. Um, I think that's that's a pretty, pretty interesting correlation. You know, the fact that I didn't want to take my own inventory and see who I really was as a person. And I also didn't want to see how much I actually weighed. Um, At this point in 2006, 2007, it had been about seven years since I would weighed myself. so I had no idea. Now I I weigh myself once once a week. Um, It has now become, it's become a number. I mean, it it has become a number where I can see, okay, this is where I am. um, And this is what's going on. This is how much my body pulls on the gravitational pull of the earth. Okay, that's what it is. Um, But during these four years, it's taken a good amount of work for it to just become that number. When I lost about 170 pounds after my first year of this current abstinence, I spent the next year, (laughs) this is so funny, I spent the next year focusing on like the 5 or 10 pounds that I kept losing and gaining and losing and gaining and losing and gaining until I was able to take a step back and say, you know, at 350 pounds, 10 pounds is like, what is that? Like 2% of my body weight? and I'm focused on, like, 2% of what's going on. That's insane. Um, yeah. So let me get back to the steps. Um, when I wrote my fourth step, I, um, <laughs> I did it long form. My, my sponsor at the time uh, had been sober in AA for 24 years. Uh, we did it out of a big book, the four columns. I have, um, I have it at home. I still have it. I know some people, like, burn theirs or bury them or, you know, do what you need to do. Um, But I kept mine, kind of like the pants, because they're in this three-ring binder that's about that thick. um, And that's quite literally a representation of, like, the 200 pounds and all the stuff that I was eating over for all those years. Um, Once I got to, I'm going to jump to the ninth step. Um, Well, before I get there, the first step is hard. There's no other way to get around it. It's just hard. We ate because we didn't want to feel, we didn't want to see ourselves, we didn't want to know ourselves. We didn't want to know the truth about who we are. That's why the fourth step is really, really hard because for me, it was the first time that I sat down and really started to truly look at who I am. Um, I mean, there were times I'd be writing, <laughs> I'd start out writing and before I knew it, I literally was curled up in the fetal position because there was no other way for me to go through stuff from my past for me to look at stuff from my past without actually having to relive it without actually having to feel those feelings over again that's just how I did it that that doesn't mean you have to like when you do your fourth step you have to relive all that stuff but I can tell you that having done that you know I started October 15th 2010 and I started my fifth step um, January 15th so having done that and remember this thing is that thick so I was just writing every day every day writing a couple hours at time, three hours in time. Sometimes, was, some days it was just 30 minutes and that's all I could do. Okay, just so long as I did it every day and I kept making progress and I kept chipping away. And the more I did it and the more often I did it, the easier it became. Um, you know, now I've since done a couple other four steps. And because I did that fourth step where I relived that stuff, those subsequent four steps were just like, oh yeah, this is what I got I got five of those three of those I need to get two of those and I gotta get one of those you know I mean it was just simple inventory it was no big deal Um, once I got to the ninth step the ninth step the ninth step really 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 surprised me because when I was in my fourth step and I started writing I thought that I had I was really angry like at my dad and I had all these resentments against my father until so when I was done with my fourth step I found out, uh oh, it's really mom and I was really shocked about that. Um now my dad passed away uh Christmas two thousand seven. Um so I couldn't really have that conversation with my dad. So what I did to make amends to my dad, I wrote a letter to my dad and I read that letter where we spread his ashes back home in Florida. And it was the most powerful thing I'd ever done. Um, I'm not... Before I came in the program, I was not a crier. I, I'd gone years and years without crying. Um, my father, who was my higher power when he was alive, was quite literally the only person who could make me cry. I mean, he could give me one look, and I'd just start crying. Um, since I've worked the steps and continue to work the steps, I am becoming a much more softer and open person um, you know after my first year in program I uh, <laughs> got an Al-Anon and I've been working my Al-Anon program for about three years and I've, I needed that I just needed it because what I've discovered <laughs> is that mm, probably 90% of the stuff that I ate over was my Al-Anon stuff now it doesn't mean that I'm not a compulsive overeater oh no 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 I'm a compulsive overeater to my core. You know, I can take or leave. Al-Anon is like, for me, working my Al-Anon program is like, you know, now that I've put down the food, I have a life. But working my Al-Anon program gives me an awesome life. Oh, so <laughs> Let me tell you. Um, I don't have to now worry and wonder about, why did my mom say that to me doesn't she know that I'm trying to do da 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 like I mean all that crazy stuff that's going on in my head to where and I've shared about this you know and I'm on record I used to honestly believe that my mother was put on the face of this earth to make my life a living hell How egotistical is that? That is some crazy ego-driven stuff. I mean, let's think about that for a second. To honestly think that somebody's going to give birth to a child, raise that child, just so they can screw with that child for the rest of their life. But that's what my diseased head honestly thought. Um, So getting back to uh, my ninth step, when I made amends to my mom, this was... This was May 2011. My mother, during my first year of abstinence, actually uh, had gotten married. Um, 27, t- 27 days into my current abstinence, uh, I was back home. I mean, it was literally scene of the crime. Thank you. It was literally scene of the crime. Uh, I still had, like, wrappers on my bedroom floor. Like, it was, it was like, crazy. Um, and I was back home for another friend's wedding or something, and I went out to dinner with my mom, and she told me that the man that she had just told me that she was dating, like, that April, like, just four months before. They're getting married. And guess what? They're getting married in three weeks. And I was like, in my head, I mean, all kinds of crazy things were running through my head, but thank God, um, in that moment, I knew it was not about me. And I just said, I'm happy for you. Um, And she was so shocked because my mother has seven brothers and sisters. I have... 15 first cousins and most of them are married and they got kids everybody in the family knew that mom was getting married but me I was the very last person she was going to tell why? because I can be difficult (laughs) to say the least Um, yeah I know my character defects you know Um, and because of working with steps in this program and definitely my al program you know I was home two weeks ago and I was talking with my mom and had this most amazing conversation. You know, I got to talk about, I got to ask her things that I never thought I could get to ask her. You know, I knew for many, many years that my, my grandmother, my maternal grandmother, was an alcoholic. And that my maternal grandmother died two summers ago. And I really thought that my mom didn't know. I got to have a conversation with my mom about that. And it turns out she knew. And then I got to talk to her about, where she asked me why, you know, I'm in out on. And so I got to talk to her about that. Um, and then a more, another amazing thing happened. The very next day, she calls me up because she has a problem with her husband and she wants to know how to like work through it. I'm like, huh? You're like asking me for like relationship advice? Like, let, let's paint a picture here. Um, <laughs> my longest relationship to date is eight, nine months. Longest romantic relationship. Um, and my mother knows this like my mother knows that like I am definitely a late bloomer I'm the guy who you know high school, college I just focused on you know school, sports you know and eating because you know dating and all that stuff is too scary 20s are really just you know 20s are always sketchy for anybody so we'll we'll just leave those alone and you know finally in my 30s and being in program and working the steps and learning more and more about who I am what I have to offer other people I'm at a completely different place in my life, and even though I don't have, you know, all that relationship experience that she has, I'm definitely teachable, and she saw that. She saw that I had an open mind and that I was willing to try things differently, so she asked me, you know, hey, what would you do in this situation, come talk to her about it, and said, yeah, I might want to try this, and da-da-da-da, and it worked, and she called me back and said, oh my God, this is so great, it worked, and I was like, great, you know, um, this is not something that would have happened... Man, this isn't, this isn't something that I would have had the courage enough to bring up to my mother had I still been in the food. This isn't something that I would have been even... It, it would not have been conscious, you know, to sit and stop and think about, I wonder what it's like for my mother to have gone through this, to be one of the older children in this household where her parents are alcohol. So, I mean, to be able to give myself... To step back and say, you know what it's like for you. Why don't you stop and think about it for somebody else? You know, it gives me that pause. The program definitely gives me that pause. Um, I'm at the place in my recovery now where it's weird. Food isn't really an issue. Um, I've got a great example of this. A couple months ago, I was working this particular job that I have a lot of resentment against, but... I got to show up every day and be on service to the best of my ability. got to pray for my bosses. I got to pray for this place. And I just got to show up, right? So one day when I showed up for a meeting that I was supposed to be there for and I ordered my lunch from the, the deli in the, the, the building, um, they didn't have this really amazing potato salad they make. I love it. It's really great. They, like, put chunks of apples in it. It tastes awesome. And um, they didn't have any. And I was on my way to this meeting that I knew was going to be inconsequential it was really just a waste of my time and it wasn't even worth the little $30 they were paying me to show up for it yeah um yeah but, but I might be able to be a friend so they didn't have my potato salad they offered me some like a couple other options which I could have eaten which were you know absent or whatever and I said nah I'll just take my burrito and go on and I did and I just went and ate my lunch and went on to my meeting. It wasn't until the next day that I realized that I had turned down food that I totally could have had and didn't give it a second thought and kept going. I'm like, whoa. (laughs) Um, So that sounds like my time. Um, Thank you very much for letting me share. And uh, yeah, this is the time for questions only. There's no sharing at this meeting. If you need to share, please do so with any of us after the meeting. I don't know why I forgot there's questions at this meeting. <laughs> <laughs> also, please remember that the opinions of the leader are my own and not those of Overeaters Anonymous as a whole. When asking questions, you need not identify yourself. Um, please remember, if you ask a question, your voice may be audible on the OA podcast. I'm mic. I'm Um Yeah. So, questions?
2: Thank you very much. You talked about um, that a lot of the things you ate over were what you call al issues. So could you talk about how today um, you don't use the food to deal with people, places and things?
0: Okay. um, The question, how do I not use food to deal with people, places and things? what is this? The end of June. I have. well will talk about my, my my love life. I have. I've, this year in the last six months. I've been on maybe three dates, four dates, and that's by choice. Um, and I'm not eating over that. Oh my god. I was a per- I was. <laughs> I was a person who was like, you know, is that my life? Is that my life? Is that my life? Is she my life? Oh, oh, god, god. God. oh my god. Oh my god. Oh my god. You know. Um, last year. I, I think just in the month of June last year, I went on like six different first dates. It's a lot. Um, a prayer and meditation I use every day. Um, and I, I pray for, <laughs> in my head, like the people who like, you should like me. I pray for them, really. And I honestly pray for them to get the things that I want. You know, I pray that they have a loving relationship. I pray that they have peace in their life. And I pray that they have success. Um, But it's hard. I mean, I still... This morning, I was still thinking about a woman that I dated a year and a half ago. You know? It's hard. But I know that if I... I know that if I turn to the food, I won't even have those options. Because when I was in the food, I, I felt... I felt so much less of myself that I wouldn't have even attempted that. Because here's the crazy thing, and, and some of those pictures you might be able to see, like, I'm, I'm, the same, I'm, I'm the same size I am now as when I was, like, in college. And there was no way that I was ever talk like, ask to girl out. There might, you'll see a lot of pretty girls in there, they're all my friends. But there was no way I was ever going to ask them on a date. No way. Yeah.
2: Thank you for your share. Um really uh-huh. yes, like you, you know, a heard of It's really, it looks like spot you. know, it's like, it comes from, you know, seemingly nowhere. And all of a sudden, I don't know if you get this feeling, that you get that heart complication where you start thinking about the food and, you know, you feel like the Horses can't stop you. How do you kind of So the it? question
0: is when you have those moments of craving a certain food that seem very powerful, like you're driven to eat that thing um, so I don't necessarily have those feelings very much anymore, but because okay For me, the way it works, it's it's like, it's subtle. It's really subtle. It's like, um, I was watching, uh, and I I don't really watch live TV much anymore, but there are a lot of big sporting events on now. And this morning I was like watching a report about one of the big games that's coming on later today. And there was a commercial and because I don't watch live TV, I don't really see commercials anymore. Um, And I saw this commercial for this food thing. And in the back of my head, I was like, hmm, too bad you're abstinent now
1: <laughs> that would have been
0: interesting mm-hmm. remember when you used to yeah because they used to have the thing before but they didn't combine it with that thing and now they're together you know I mean it's, and that's how it's you know but then it's like I have to I have to if, if, if I can't see that that's happening um, and I usually can see that's happening I'll stop and it's, one thing that I've learned is that I can't control my thoughts I can't. They're there. But the great thing is, they're just thoughts, and they're here, and nobody
1: else knows they're happening.
0: That's awesome. So I've often had this, this instance where, and really this last year, where I've been like, oh my God, did that? Because sometimes it can feel so real up here that I think it's happening out there. Um, and I have to remind myself, it's not. And the other thing I have to remind myself is, it's just a thought. I can just look at it, wow, that's interesting it's going to go by just like feelings they pass and I'll be thinking about something else you know unless I choose to focus on that thing and I know if I choose to focus on that particular food item it's going to become bigger and bigger and bigger and then I'm going to be compelled you know to follow through on that instinct so it's like I have to make a phone call I have to get to a meeting I have to write about it I have to call my sponsor I have to do something else um yeah.
2: Thank you, uh, if you know uh, how this happened, I'd like to
0: know, um, how did you become comfortable with your current weight when you wanted to weigh less? How did I become comfortable with my current weight when I wanted to weigh less? Um, that's a really good question. A lot of it, I think, prayer and meditation, doing things, just getting out there and doing physical things that I never did before, um, because my body you know, the weight held me hostage. <laughs> I, um, once I lost the weight, I, went, I wanted to go ride a roller coaster because I hadn't, I hadn't been able to sit in a roller coaster for over 20 years. Um, but then I quickly learned, you know, at 33, that's not a good idea, at least for me. Like, I was like, ah, feeling like I'm going to die six times within two minutes that's not I'm like I've, I've literally almost been to death know what that feels like don't need to feel like that again so I'm like Ugh. that was a learning process um, I went to I went to the OA Maui retreat in 2011 that was awesome I, I was sitting in this meeting I remember that was when I first heard about it um, somebody somebody annou- who was it Pam Pam announced it and I was like I'm going I've never been to Hawaii I'm going um, and I got to do things in a very safe space like swim and kayak and, you know, take off my shirt and be at the beach and just do all those things. Um, you know, it's, I mean, it's the process of just doing a lot of things and um, starting to feel just, and oh, here's another great thing, it's the mirror, the mirror, big tool. It can be a big tool, but it can be a big tool if I talk to myself in a kind and loving way. Um, every morning I really do stand in front of the mirror and I look at myself and I tell myself that I'm a good person, that I'm worthy of love, that I'm kind, that I'm generous, that I'm smart. all The opposite of all the negative things that run through my head. And I start with that. It's hard. I've only been doing it now for about six or seven months. It's hard. And it feels weird and cheesy and whatever, but I can tell you, i it's really changed a lot of my thinking. Yeah. God. I was, I was raised in a... <laughs> I was raised in a conventional like Christian church and as early as the age of seven and eight, I had a problem with an all-knowing, all-loving God who would send you to hell if you didn't praise this dude named Jesus. I was like, what? That doesn't make any sense. And I'm like eight years old. Um, program has given me a God. Program has... has has given me a God that says, it's okay for people to want to pray to some dude named Jesus. It's okay for people to want to pray to Buddha. It's okay for people to want to do all these other things. Um, because my higher power is just that big. My higher power says to me, you know, if I can pull you from the depths or the brinks of death, you know, I've done it for a reason. So whenever I get into those spaces of... Um, You know, like I shared a bit about my—I always share about my, you know, my my work history, struggle of these last four years. When I get into that place, I—I go back to that. I go back to the 200 pounds. I go back to the, you know, the being diabetic. And today, I—oh, let me not forget that. I almost always forget. I have—I went to the doctor about a month ago. This goes with God. Big miracles. I'm 35 years old and I think most normal 35-year-olds don't know their cholesterol, A1C, and triglycerides, but I do.
1: Um,
0: My A1C is 5.8. That's one-tenth of a point away from normal. Like, that's ridiculous. Um, My cholesterol is 161, my, and yeah, you're going to gasp again. My HDLs are 48, and my LDLs are 106, and my triglycerides uh, wait for it, a 37. Mm-hmm. And you want to know what else? You don't cheer at this. I eat bacon and cheese every day, and I love it. It's good. It's really good. Part of that's because I'm 35, I know, whatever. But, <laughs> but I'm enjoying it for today. Um, I. I know this isn't part of a God question, but I think it is. The fact that I look forward to going to the doctor today and that I know that I'm going to be happy when I leave, that's a huge miracle. Left mm-hmm. you. Mm-hmm. How did I put down the food in the beginning? Um... Like I said, I was completely unemployed. I went to, I was going to 10 to 13 meetings a week. Um, I was taking service positions wherever I could. I was eating smaller meals, but more often. I was eating four to five meals a day instead of like three binges a day. Um, And that actually was the hard part. Like eating five small meals, that's like, oh, Jesus, God, I was eating every three hours that really was exhausting I mean it sounds weird to a compulsive reader that like I was tired of eating but I was tired of eating because I'm not a grazer I'm not somebody who would just kind of eat and eat and eat through the day I mean I'm sure like grazers might have a problem with that but because I wasn't you know it was okay um, I did have some I did have some medical help one of, the, um, one of the medications I was on for my diabetes helped curb my appetite uh, but I was only on that medication for like three months because I had lost so much weight that my diabetes had begun to reverse itself and, you know. So I kind of, in some ways, I kind of feel like, oh my god, are I cheating? I was like, nah. Oh, no. But I was like, well, that was for like, what, 70 pounds? How'd you lose the other 130 pounds? You know, so I mean, it just, And with that, I want to say, (laughs) my body is not my business. It really isn't. I did not lose 200 pounds. God helped me lose 200 pounds. I did not reverse my diabetes. God did that. Um, How do I know that? November 2010, I worked out once that month. I was back east for that entire month. I had fried chicken, macaroni and cheese and all kinds. of. I'm from the south. So, you know, Thanksgiving and all that kind of craziness. And I lost 20 pounds that month. May, or March 2000, thank you, March 2011, I was here, working out three times a week, my whole food salad, didn't lose a single pound. My body is not my business. It's not. Was that it? No, oh, okay. Sorry, five minutes. Next question. Yes. Yeah. How do I talk to God, and how do I know I'm hearing God, and not just doing my will? Right? Okay. Um... There's a great um, men's meditation retreat I've been going to the last couple of years that my Al-Anon grand sponsor started, and it's like up in um, Carpinteria, and it's 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 amazing. Um, one of the things that we read is a uh, an interesting pamphlet by um, by um, oh boy Henry James's brother William James, and um, it's called On Habit. And it's actually referenced in the Big Book as one of the things that um, was used to help, you know, write one of the chapters in the Big Book. Um, when we do something repeatedly, good, bad, we build that muscle. Um, meditation doesn't have to be this, this like sitting on a mountaintop, legs. T- I don't. <laughs> I meditate every morning sitting on my toilet.
2: Mm-hmm
0: and sometimes it's 30 seconds sometimes it's a minute sometimes it's a few minutes sometimes it's like five ten minutes um but my ability to stop and get quiet or my my willingness to try to stop and get quiet is the act of meditation and just witnessing my thoughts as they go by until i get to the place where i witness that I'm no longer witnessing those thoughts go by and it's in that space of when I witness that I witness that those thoughts are no longer going by that's when I know that I'm in that place um, it's really hard to stay there sometimes it's hard to get there but I know my will is always like let's do this let's go Let's see. It's always quick. It's always no no, no 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 no. We just wanna my will is always wanting to get to the results. My will isn't about the journey. And that's what meditation's about. It's about the journey. It's not it's not getting to that place. It's about going to that place. If that makes sense. Any
2: questions? Uh,
0: what was your relationship relationship with perfectionism before program and now. Before program, I was definitely a perfectionist, but I didn't know I was a perfectionist. Now that I'm in program, I know that I'm a perfectionist. And I'm working on it. (laughs) I'm working on giving myself, well, first I started working on giving other people a break because I hold everyone else to like my crazy, ridiculous standards. And then I moved the line on myself and everyone else. Now I'm just now starting to give myself a break. And how I'm doing that is that I'm asking for help. I've just started in the last two or three months asking people in my life for help. And the crazy thing about asking for help is that you also have to be there to receive it. <laughs> you can't just be like, can I have some help? I'm going to run away over here. Don't talk to me. Don't look at me. No, you actually have to be there to, like, receive it. Ellie. Um,
2: thank you, Jessica.
0: What other things about yourself have you learned as a result of doing your inventory 4th and 10th? other things have I learned about myself from doing my inventory 4th and 10th? I love to sing. Hey, I was talking with a fellow before the meeting. I've been taking voice lessons for the last year Um, and it's something that I love to do as a kid and my I went through puberty and then my mother said something to me like, you've got such a pretty voice. I internalized that. And then I didn't sing for like 20 years. Um, told me my fault. Not my, my mom was, you know, my mom's a great woman. Um, I finally got to the place where I was like, you know what, I like to sing. I'm tired of fighting stupid drunk people to sing one song at karaoke. Um, so why don't I take, right? So why don't I take the $40 I would have spent on the two beers waiting to sing my one song and pay somebody to help me get better and I can sing all myself for a whole hour um and so that's what I've been doing and I I I've, I guess ultimately I've discovered I'm a lot more brave than I thought I was I got to sing um at a, at a we had a recital in April and I got to sing at this um at the wonderful mountain high retreat in Big Bear this past May in front of like 300 people and and it was acapella too and it was like, you know, and people really enjoyed it. And I, I had a lot of fun. And, and the awesome thing about this, this is the best thing about the singing, it calms me. It soothes me. When I am by myself and I'm upset and I'm just angry or just whatever, I will sing to myself by myself. It's awesome. I, I'm like, and that is the one thing that I've always wanted is the, is the ability to soothe myself. And now I've got the tools for that. Thanks very much.